And we're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 11. And um, I hope we've got the scriptures. Yeah, okay, we've got the, the scriptures up there. I never know how big to make the fonts so that you can see from the back of the church building, but I hope you can see them. Can you see them? Read them, Dennis? Yes, sir. Okay, good. Would you stand with me as we read these 11 verses of Isaiah chapter 61? And this is a prophecy, one of the awesome prophecies in the Old Testament. And uh, Isaiah, of course, was, was the great prophet. And so beginning with verse 1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to, captive, to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for a burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make them with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, this is your house. We are your people, and we are here to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we confess that we are totally unworthy to come into your presence today. But we thank you that we have the promise of the Messiah, your son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to be our Savior, 
to deliver us from our sins and impart your perfect righteousness to us. And so I pray your Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts and our minds today. Direct us to know you in your perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The book of Isaiah is a magnificent prophet, prophecy. Uh, the book of Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ was born. And uh, Isaiah prophesied, and this is one of those prophecies in Isaiah 61. He prophesied that, I, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> we'll get unclogged in a minute. Uh, he prophesied that Jesus, the Messiah, would come into the world. And uh, so it's one of those awesome and unbelievable prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. And it makes clear that when he comes, he will be a missionary Messiah. And yes, he has handed down to us today the mandate for missions. Uh, we, as God's people, God's church, uh, have given that commission, that commandment, that mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And it's one of those amazing and yet so difficult to understand. Just uh, to, to give you the idea, most of you know and hear me talk too much about my, my childhood, and you'll have to forgive me for that, but it's the only one I've got. Uh, uh, but I grew up in this little country church, 10 miles out north of Aspermont, Texas, and most of you have never heard of Aspermont. Uh, but uh, as a young boy growing up out there, uh, as far as I know, the, that little church never had a missionary to come visit. I'd never heard or read a missionary biography. But God laid it on my heart that he wanted me to go and, and be a missionary in a foreign country. And he ultimately led me, led my wife and I, Barbara, uh, that we should go to Taiwan and be missionaries. And... Uh, <coughs> The foundation for that is because we have a Savior. We have a missionary Messiah who came into this world as the first and the greatest missionary. And uh, then as I was thinking and preparing for the sermon, I thought about all of the great missionaries uh, down through the centuries since uh, the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and he formed his church and gave that commission to the church, um, I thought of Adoniram Judson. Uh, Adoniram Judson uh, grew up in a devout Christian family. The, they were members of the Congregational Church, which at that time was, was true to the scriptures. Um, but um, Adoniram Judson... Uh, as he went off to school, made friends and so forth, 
he became a deist, and, lay, and a deist is, uh, are those who believe that uh, God created the world, he wound it up and sent it off, and God doesn't have anything to do with it anymore. Uh, but then Adoniram Judson became a skeptic. And he didn't really believe in the truths of the Bible and the, the truths of uh, Jesus Christ's death and atonement on the cross for our sins. And he had a clo- really close friend who was also a deist and a skeptic. And Adoniram Judson's friend died. He was staying in the same hotel in the room next door to his friend who was dying. And the next morning he learned that the young man that was dying, that had died by that time, was his close friend, the skeptic. And it shook Adoniram Judson to his core. And so he returned to his home, returned to his faith in God, in the Word of God, in the Son of God, and became a faithful Christian. He graduated from seminary when he was 19 years old, committed himself to go to the country of Burma, now called Myanmar, um, and he went there and spent 40 years of his life serving God in Burma, And he translated the entire Bible into the Burmese language. And to his credit, God's glory, the Burmese church today still uses the Bible that Adoniram Judson translated. And he's had a lasting impact and influence on so many people. And um, I have a a great-grandfather whose name is, and he was a a godly man, a faithful Christian, um, perhaps a deacon in in that little country church, that I've told you so much about. And um, his name is Ad- Robert Judson Harrell. And uh, I'm convinced that he got that name Judson because of Adoniram Judson, because of the legacy that he left behind, because of his faithfulness to the Lord and all the things that he endured and suffered over those 40 years, the death of his wife and death of several children and uh, spent time, horrible time in prison in, in Burma. And yet God used him till the end of his life to preach the gospel. And the reason that he could do that is because We have a missionary Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first point I want us to consider this morning 
is Christ, our missionary Messiah, came to do the will of God. When he came, he had a mission. When he came, he had a purpose. And that purpose was to be the deliverer, the savior of a lost and dying world. I want to read Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. And it says, and he was handed the book. You know, Jesus had returned to his hometown of Nazareth. And uh, it was the Sabbath day. And he went to the synagogue to worship. He was the designated speaker that day. And uh, so he was handed the scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he turned to this passage in Isaiah chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We'll recognize that is from Isaiah 61 that we read as our text this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus Christ, to his hometown people, was declaring that I am the Messiah. And as you read those verses and the description of the Messiah, it becomes very clear that he is truly the missionary Messiah. He came to set the captives free. He came to deliver us from the bondage that we are in. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. Therefore, when he came into the world, the missionary Messiah, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And uh, one of the reasons I chose this subject was because we are at that time of the year when we're celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. And so when he was born in that manger in Bethlehem of Mary, he was God in the flesh. That baby born in Bethlehem was the very son of God. He was God sending his son into the world to come to be our deliverer, our savior. And um, you did not desire but a body you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And this is the great miracle of the whole Bible is the fact that God, Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of 
the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ was God, the second person of the Trinity. And he said, I have come to do your will, O God. And as the old-time preachers used to say, in the council halls of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit determined that God the Son would leave heaven's glory, laid aside his glory, as one of the song that we just sang a while ago talked about, laying aside his fame, uh, the, the glory, to come to this earth to be our Savior. And that is the wonderful rejoice thing that we have to rejoice. And so he is not only the second person of the Trinity, he's not only God, but he's the creator of all things. And he is the one whose body was prepared for him at the incarnation. He said, a body you have prepared for me. And he was the obedient son of the heavenly father. And uh, we understand that the truth of the Trinity, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is a mystery that we in this life will never be able to completely understand. We just accept it and believe it by faith because it's what God's word teaches. And he was that obedient son that in all things as we read through the four gospels, Jesus was completely obedient to the will of the Father. And as he was there praying in the Garden of Gethsemane the night of his arrest, he said, not my will, but yours be done. He would have preferred that the Father take that cup from him because he knew the horrors of the death he was going to die. The horrors of a holy God having to bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And yet, he came as an obedient son. Point number two, Christ, our missionary Messiah, came to become our substitute. And we'll do this just very quickly. Verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 10 says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, you see... Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven's glory, was born as that baby in Bethlehem that we celebrate during the Christmas season. And then he offered his body on the cross for us. He said he had have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ. This verse tells us that because Jesus perfectly did God's will, we have been sanctified and set apart as God's children. This was accomplished through the offering of the body of Christ when he died for our sins on the cross of Calvary. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 25 through 27. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us Suitable, the best choice, 
who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. And so Jesus Christ, full of love, full of compassion, full of mercy, and full of grace, came to die for us as our substitute. He took my place. He took your place. Every person born on the face of this earth, he died for you. He died for you because he loves you. And all I have to do is just open up my heart and say, I believe, Lord, I believe you love me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm lost. But I receive Jesus as my Savior. Point number three, Christ, our missionary Messiah, came to save his people from their sins. This is repetition, but let me read you some scriptures. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel, when Mary was pregnant and expecting the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel appeared to Joseph and said, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. The, the name Jesus means Savior. And uh, it means that we were lost, we were sinking down into the depths of sin and uh, lostness and Jesus came to be our Savior, to forgive us of our sins. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Simple verse. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, I identify with this because it was spoken by the great Apostle Paul. He said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And Paul, I guess, never forgave himself because before his conversion, he was busy persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples. But then God saved him. And he said the rest of his life, because of what I have done, I'm the chief of sinners. But he knew that he had salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? Well, it means that you and I are sinners. Our sins have condemned us to eternal condemnation in hell. When I die, because of my sins, I will go to a place of eternal punishment that we typically call hell. And that's a terrible thought. But propitiation... 
means, and let me read it again, he himself, meaning he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And what it means is that when I believe in Jesus, his blood covers my sins. And the word propitiation means it turns away the wrath of God. The Bible says very clearly that the wrath of God is upon all who do not believe in Jesus Christ. John 3.36 makes that very clear. If we do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of God abides on him right now. And folks, our lives are just like a thin tissue. And uh, if I was holding a tissue in my hands and you put a small pebble on top of the tissue, you're all right. Unless someone pours just a little amount of water on that tissue. And what's going to happen? The rock will fall through the tissue. And you and I are on thin ice, as we like to say. And, and I've found out recently we, we got a new family doctor. He's finding all kinds of things wrong with me. I, I, I think I'm going to go back to my old doctor. But uh, uh, one of the things, you know, um, they, they found out that I have a first degree AV block in my heart. Now, I don't understand that. But... Then I had this 24-hour Holter monitor on me, and uh, it turned out that sometimes I have a second-degree AV block, and that's even worse. So it's kind of makes you stop and think. But every one of us, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that if the Lord decides to take us, we'll be with him in heaven. Propitiation means God's wrath will be turned away from us because of the death of Jesus Christ. He died for me. He died in my place. He died for you. And God looks down on you and he loves you. Now, concerning this word propitiation, um, in 2012, the Presbyterian Church USA, that's a denomination of Presbyterians, they were uh, producing a new hymnal. And um, they wanted to include a fairly new hymn in their hymnal. The title of the hymn, and some of you have heard it, it's a beautiful hymn. In Christ Alone. And um, the committee that was producing this new hymnal requested permission from the author, whose name is Getty, uh, and Stuart Townsend, to use an alternative lyric to the phrase, Till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. 
changing wrath of God was satisfied to the love of God was magnified. And the authors, Getty and Townsend, rejected this lyric change. And the hymnal committee barred the book, the hymn from the book. Mary Louise Bringle, committee chair, defended their decision saying, the song has been removed from our contents list with deep regret over losing its otherwise poignant and powerful witness. And Getty was quoted as saying, First, it's important to express how truly honored we feel that these groups would consider adding in Christ alone. However, we believe altering the lyrics would remove an essential part of the gospel story as explained throughout Scripture. The main thread of what we see revealed throughout the Old and New Testament is the need for man to be made right with God. The provided path toward reconciliation came through Christ's predetermined and perfect sacrifice on the cross, satisfying God's wrath once and for all. In Christ alone, um, well, uh, uh, and, and what that is saying is they, they did not want the, the biblical, truly, theological term propitiation to be used something that would turn away the wrath of God that just sounds too cruel and out of date but it's the word of God and we had better not think about changing the word of God and just so you'll know um, now brother Steve has got a lot of songs memorized do you have that one memorized no well it's a good thing because I was going to have him come up here and sing it for us. <laughs> but, but anyway, let me read you the, the lyrics uh, to In Christ Alone. And you will see, I mean, it's, I consider just reading this, the lyrics this morning, let that be our sermon. <clears throat> but here it is. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh. Fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness. Scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world, my darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory... Sin's curse was lost, has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. 
No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. What an amazing uh, hymn that is. And uh, in Christ alone I stand. Last point, Christ, our missionary Messiah, came together in the gospel net all who believe. Let me repeat that. Christ, our missionary Messiah, came for a purpose, came on a mission. And that mission was to gather in the gospel net all who believe. Let me read John chapter 10 verses 14 through 16. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so as Jesus spoke those words, he had his little flock, the 12 disciples, and many others who believed in him while he was here on earth. But he was looking down the centuries of time and knowing that there was going to be a much greater flock that would expand far beyond the borders of that little country of Israel. And it would extend to the ends of the earth. And so it was Jesus, the great fisherman, throwing out his net through every single child of God, through every church scattered around the face of the earth. He's bringing in all those who will believe to be his children, to be with him, to enjoy the blessings of eternal life. And the blessings of heaven. Because Jesus said. I am the way. The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the father but by me. And you may be one here today. Who. Has not yet received Jesus. You've not believed him. In him as your personal savior. You may be one here today who has some kind of problem that you're dealing with that you don't have an answer for. But the scripture that we've read today said he binds the brokenhearted. We live in a world full of people who are brokenhearted. But Jesus is the answer. You may be one 
who are still held captive by sin, Jesus will liberate you. Jesus will set you free. Jesus will cover all of your sins, forgive you, give you freedom to serve him, to live for him, to love him, to love your neighbors, to love your family. He will restore what has been taken away. In an earlier sermon, I talked about the fact that when Adam and Eve sinned, God's greatest treasure was stolen from him. And Jesus Christ, our great missionary Messiah, coming into the world, born in the manger in Bethlehem, it was all for one purpose, that God's treasure, you, because the Bible says each and every one of us are created in the image of God. And that is God's treasure. The fact that he created us to have eternal fellowship with him. And when you believe in Jesus, when you accept him as your personal savior, receive him into your hearts by just confessing that you're a lost sinner, that you're helpless, that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that Jesus will come into your heart and you will be saved by the grace of God and you will be restored to that image and likeness of God in your heart. And you will once again be God's treasure. You know, most of you know that Barbara and I have been married 63 years. Is it 63? Uh, Seems highly unlikely, but I, I guess the facts can't be denied. But if you go to our house, we have some treasures, things that we have accumulated over the years. And um, it would be terrible. It would We'd be heartbroken if somebody came in with a big moving van and and while we were away, loaded everything up and hauled it off, we'd be brokenhearted because that's our treasures. And if you come to our house, my wife will be delighted to show you her treasures. But God has a treasure. Every person is his treasure. And if you have not received Jesus as your Savior, you are not in his house where he can enjoy you. And I inv invite you today to just simply in your heart say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm lost. I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died for me on the cross. I receive him as my Savior. And if you'll pray that prayer, 
sincerely and earnestly, God will come in and restore the treasure in your heart so that God can enjoy you and enjoy fellowship with you for eternity. Brother Steve is going to come and lead us in our hymn of invitation.